Well, good morning and welcome to STSA Church Online, where we are in part four of a series called Disconnected. And as you see, we have a special treat here for you today as I am joined once again by my lovely wife, Marianne. Thanks for joining us, Marianne. And the reason why Marianne is on stage here with me from the start, okay, if you've been following along for the past few weeks, you know that usually every session begins and I kind of give a little intro and talk about, you know, set the stage for the topic for the day. And then I'll invite, you know, my children or my wife to join me and, and you know, contribute to the discussion. Well, I've been getting a lot of feedback in this series and I appreciate all those who have been sending it. And all the feedback has pretty much been the same. Oh, we love hearing from your wife. Oh, it's great seeing your kids. Oh, it's great hearing those stories. So I'm kind of getting the impression that people are just kind of, when, they, when we start just kind of sitting there thinking, okay, when do we get rid of this guy? When do we get to the uh-uh. wife? When do we get to the kids? And you know what? I'm okay with that. I've, I've accepted my role in life that, you know, people like my wife much better than me. That so is I'm, not true. I'm, I'm okay with that. I'm okay with knowing my role. My role is just sit here and look pretty, which I'm happy to do that um, while you get to do all the fun stuff. So thank you for joining us here today, Marianne. We're going to get into um, some questions that you guys have been asking throughout this series. Okay, thank you to everyone who sent in some questions. And basically, the agenda for today is we're going to answer those questions to the best of our ability. I'm going to ask the questions in such a way I, I might modify some of the – I won't re- necessarily read them verbatim just so that, you know, privacy and confidentiality. Um, but we'll do our best to address every one of the questions that was asked and address the topic that was was in them. So – Before we do that, I want to start by reminding everyone of our key thought for this series, and that is this. Even though we're all using the same words, we might not be speaking the same language. The heart of this series is that God made us all uniquely. He designed you and me with a unique temperament, and our uniqueness affects everything about us, including the way we communicate. So while we might all say the same words, we might not be hearing the same message communicated in them. Different words have different meaning to different people. Different people need different words more than others. So what we're talking about in this series is how that uniqueness inside all of us affects us. And the more we can understand ourselves and those around us, the more we we can be successful in our relationships. And if you missed any of this series, any of the first three parts, I encourage you to go to our YouTube page and make sure you get caught up so that you can fully understand this concept that we're talking about today. Okay? So that's our agenda. We're going to answer some questions. You ready, Marianne? I am. All right. We'll start with question number one. Question number one, and this one I am going to read verbatim. Okay. Question number one. (laughs) Question number one is, what what temperament was Jesus? I think he was a blue. (laughs) I didn't change that one at all. Okay. That's what temperament was Jesus? I think he was a blue. And I think whoever wrote this, I think you are probably a blue more than anyone else. Because the truth of the matter is, we tend, when we look at ourselves and our temperament, to see our positives more than our negatives. So if you look at just your positives, it's easy to see that inside Jesus because Jesus was the perfect man. So yellows, for example, would look and say, well, Jesus loved people and he was loved by people. So for sure, Jesus was a yellow. Or greens might say, Jesus was always harmonious and Jesus was was, was king of peace. So for sure, he was a green. There's no doubt about that. Blues would say a God who would create all the, this universe and the and the, the details in the universe. For sure, God was a blue. And the reds, you reds out there, I got proof that, that, that Jesus was a red. You know how? Because Jesus created the entire universe in how many days? Six days to create the entire universe. Only a red, only a red could have gotten so much done in so, so little time. Right, reds? The truth of the matter is, 
is you can find all of the positives of every temperament in Christ. But when you look at the negatives, we wouldn't say that Jesus had the negatives of the yellow or the negatives of the green or the negatives of the blue or the red. So those negatives, those weaknesses are really a function of our fallen human nature. So we wouldn't say that Jesus is any of the temperaments per se. But let's stay away from Jesus, okay? Let, let's expand the question and let's go to Bible characters. Marianne, if we look in the Bible, do you think you can, you can, you can see certain temperaments in some of the characters of the Bible? I actually just read a book about this uh, that talked about temperaments and Bible characters. So uh, I'll jump right in. Yep. Uh, the blue was Moses, and it's because blues tend to be extremely intelligent, extremely creative. Uh, Moses was that way. He took such great care in uh, building the tabernacle, and God entrusted that to him. And uh, on the other hand, he uh, was deeply deeply sensitive like we talked about last week and you see that blot my name out and blot these people's names out he took things he felt really deeply and he took uh, criticism very much to heart when when he when he was criticized right yes yeah yeah, mm -hmm. yeah he took it, it to heart exactly mm -hmm. uh um, abraham was the green so peaceful guy uh he um kind of did what he was told. He always obeyed. He obeyed God. He obeyed his wife when she told him, you know, go to Hagar and, and get me a son. And then he had a conflict he had to deal with with Hagar and Sarah and Ishmael. And you could see that. He just didn't want to deal with the conflict. Yeah. <laughs> it <laughs> tore him up. Uh, and he just had to send uh, Hagar away with Ishmael. And the next one, uh, the red is St. Paul. St. Paul we wouldn't have Christianity without St. Paul. He really laid out uh, the roots. No one could have done what he did. He's such a hard worker. On the other hand, uh, we can see a little bit of impatience in him. He didn't want to take Mark with him on the journey. He wasn't responsible enough. He had let them down earlier. <laughs> <laughs> he likes responsibility. Like Why did the red have to have his own voice? I don't know what. <laughs> <laughs> And then uh, finally, the yellow we see in St. Peter. Everybody loved St. Peter. Uh, Upon this rock, I will build my church. Uh, but you do see that he was a little bit impulsive. For example, when he cut the soldier's ear off, uh, he, he just, he doesn't think, he just cut his ear off. Uh, also, you see him kind of highly exaggerative when, um, I, I see this when you're reading about uh, Jesus washing his feet and he says, no, 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 don't wash my feet. And then St. Peter, and then Jesus says, well, you know, I have to, if you are to be a part of me. So he says, oh, then wash my head and my toes and everything. So he's really <laughs> exaggerative. But the, the cool thing, I think you'd agree with me, is that even though that we see the different temperaments, we see how God really called each one to a mission that fit their temperament. So for example, Abraham, Abraham and Paul, for example, Abraham probably wouldn't have been very good if he had St. Paul's job to go and to preach to people that you're worshiping the wrong God and, 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 and to, to speak boldly and... and Saint Abraham might have struggled with that, mm -hmm. and Paul would have struggled if he had to be the father of many nations, okay, mm -hmm. because Paul was quick to, this guy's no good, this guy's irresponsible, as you said. So God gave them each a mission unique based on, on, on their gifts and talents. Same thing when we could say Peter, if you put Peter in charge of planning the Exodus, he probably would have struggled, okay, mm -hmm. because Peter, like you said, was impulsive and moved quickly, whereas Moses was meticulous. 
But Moses would have really struggled on the day of Pentecost to go up there and preach the way Peter did. Mm -hmm. Okay, Moses, you know, when he was told to go speak to Pharaoh, he said, no, no, I got to get this guy to speak. I can't do it. And, and Moses didn't want didn't, would, to, wouldn't, would have struggled the way Peter did. So that's kind of the whole point of this series is that we're all made uniquely with different strengths and weaknesses, and we need to lean into those strengths. And the more we're able to identify our strengths, as well as those around us, okay, if we're a parent or in, in, if we're married or if we're a team lead at work or whatever it may be, the more we can identify the strengths of those around us and our own, the more we can find success in life, okay? Question number two. Question number two is, how do love languages fit in with temperaments? Okay, someone wants to know is, that for those who aren't familiar, there's, there's a book out there by Gary Chapman called The Five Love Languages, which talks about how we all receive love differently. So the question here is, how do love languages fit with temperament? Is it the same? Is it different? Are they working together? Are they contrary? Well, this, this gets to the, kind of the point that we discussed at the very beginning about how temperament may be different than personality, okay? Temperament and personality are, are, are different, but they're working together. So for example, someone's love language may be words of affirmation, okay? You can have two people whose love language is words of affirmation, but their temperament may be different. So the words may need to be different that make them feel affirmed. So for example, a red, if his, if, if his or her uh, love language is words of affirmation, a red would want words of loyalty or words of appreciation or words of acknowledgement. Whereas a green would want different set of words. They may both need words, but a, word a green would need words of harmony and peace. Or as Marianne, okay, whenever we have anything between us, she always says, I just need you to say, it's going to be okay. And if I say, it's going to be okay, like that kind of solves everything. Mm -hmm. That doesn't solve anything for me because I want to know how it's going to be okay. But mm -hmm. for a green, okay, words, but it's not the same kind of words across temperament. Or let's say quality time. Let's say your love language is quality time. Well, for a yellow, that quality time may be look, look like an adventurous trip together, okay, or some kind of outing or some kind of activity Whereas for a blue, if their quality time is their love language, it may be just sitting on the couch, something much less action, much safer, and something where they can connect deeply as opposed to doing an activity. So again, that's why this temperament thing is so valuable. If you know love languages or you know personality type or you know any of the other things, but you don't know temperament, okay, let me say it in a positive. If you do know temperament, it gives you a leg up and finding success in that relationship because it shows you how that person feels love, how that person feels appreciated, how that person, person feels respected. And I remember a quote from St. Augustine that he wrote in his book, Confessions. It said, how can you draw close to God when you are so far from yourself? Okay, and I wanna take that and I wanna expand that. Not just how can you draw close to God when you're far from yourself, but how can you draw close to others? How can you connect deeply with others when you are so far from knowing yourself, that's the point of this series, okay? Question number three. Okay, this one's back to you, Marianne. How early can you see temperaments in children? So I read that uh, around nine months is when you can see it begin. You can begin to see it. And I would definitely have to agree uh, as a mom. I saw it with both of my kids. Actually, I saw it even younger than nine months. Uh, I remember when the oldest, Michael, when he was first born, uh, I had read a book called Baby Wise. I'm sure a lot of you have read it, talking about 
you know, the, every three hours, you get them on a schedule, you can't feed until the three hours. And as I was reading it, I was really nervous. I said, oh, I can't imagine a baby crying and you can't feed them. But I thought I'd give it a try. And it was so easy, you guys. It was simple. I, it was didn't take long at all. Because took, Michael is a green. Michael is a green. And he's a go with the flow kind of a guy <laughs> from very so early. so compliant. I was thinking, why do parents make such a big deal? Parenting is easy. You know, the kid was in bed at seven, got up at six. Just very uh, simple, very compliant. Uh, Lizzie, on the other hand, so I <laughs> She's thought... She's the red. Then our red came. <laughs> then our red came. The schedule did not happen at all, period. Not only that, Lizzie had a phase where um, she... So there is this phase, and it's been so long since I've had babies, but I think it's around four months or five months where you begin to give them like pureed foods like cereal and um, and pureed fruits and veggies, Lizzie skipped that. She did not like the pureed stuff. So I, like, I, I was a stay-at-home mom. I'd spend hours, hours. I got recipes. I made every single fruit, every single vegetable you can imagine. I got gadgets. I bought different brands. I did everything, and I, we would sit in that high chair, and I would try and try, and I would end up in tears. Uh, and then finally I said, something's wrong with her. It must hurt her to eat. And I um, made an appointment at Children's Hospital, took her to the hospital, to the doctor, and they said nothing is wrong with her <laughs> digestive system. She's fine. She's just stubborn and small because uh, I'm small. <gasps> so, uh, the yeah. The girl had a minor <laughs> surgical procedure to determine if she had a problem in her digestive system when the answer was she was just stubborn and she just said, I refute this mushy food. So she just kind of skipped that phase, just didn't eat. Right. But mm -hmm. that's, that's what you can see from a young age is you can see those temperaments but now with that said, okay, I wanted Marianne to tell that story and then I want to jump in and say this, is that the key to identifying those temperaments, yes, you can start to see them from the youngest of ages, but you have to understand it well. And it's dangerous to just, you know, I heard something about if my kid is stubborn and they're red or my kid is yellow, it's very dangerous to do that. Not every kid who's stubborn is a red. Not every kid who's, just because your kid is loud doesn't mean that they're a yellow, it just means they're a kid sometimes. Just because your kid is stubborn doesn't mean they're red. It just means that maybe you're, you're, you're asking them to do something they don't want to do. Just because your kid is cautious doesn't mean necessarily they're blue. It just means that you're asking them to do something dangerous. So I, I hesitate to pigeonhole and just kind of lump and say, oh, yeah, that person's that, that person's that. You have to understand this stuff and you have to leave room, okay, for discovering more about the person. But if you want to venture into discovering your children's temperament. I would give you three questions that you can ask yourself that, that would probably give you a, an idea of at least which of the two, okay, um, your child is. And the first thing I would ask you, or I would, I would throw out to you to identify is, is my child an extrovert or an introvert? And we talked about this in week one, so you can go back and listen to that. It doesn't mean whether they're sociable or not sociable. It means do they think before they speak or speak before they think? Okay, that's the first question. If they're extrovert, then they're the top two, the yellow or the red, introvert, the blue or the green. Second, are they task-oriented or people-oriented? All right, do they like to accomplish stuff or do they like to spend time with people? If they're task, they're on the right side, the blue or the red. If they're people, they're the green or the yellow. And then the third question is, listen to the words that they say. Not one time or two times, but a pattern of words. Do they use words that, that, that display boldness and confidence? Then they're a red. 
Are they animated and optimistic? Probably a yellow. Detailed and empathetic? Those are the blues. Or calm and considerate? Those would be our friends, the greens. So you can see the temperament from an early age, but again, just be careful until you fully understand it. You don't want to pigeonhole your child and treat your child in a certain, you don't want to misdiagnose and begin treatment until you've properly identified who your child is. Okay. Now the next question, are certain combinations more challenging in parenting? Okay. And, and we got some examples right here. If my child is this, or, you know, I'm a this, what combinations of parents and children present the greatest problems or challenges um, um, when it comes to relationships. Of course, I'm generalizing here, but I would say that there are two combinations that if you have this combination, you need to be a, a little bit cautious, be on, on guard, and I'm one of them. One is the red parent with the green child, and the other is the blue parent with the yellow child, okay? Red with green and blue with yellow, Let me explain. Talk about myself. I'm a red parent. My son, Michael, as Mary Ann said earlier, is a green child. He's very green. I'm very red. Michael, when he was young, I'm a sports guy. I always dreamed my kids would play sports, but I'm not going to be like those crazy dads who push their kids in sports. That's not me. Michael enjoyed playing sports. And the first sport that he started playing, I think he did soccer when he was young, but he never got into that. But he started playing baseball. Okay. And as you see on these pictures, <laughs> Michael was the cutest kid on the planet playing the baseball. He loved, he was the happiest kid. That's what everyone would say. Like yeah. Michael would hit the ball and T-ball and then he would just be so happy. He'd just be running <laughs> at first base and he would run past the base and he would just be happy, happy as a clam. Okay. Michael was the happiest kid. He progressed up. He did T-ball and I was actually the assistant coach on his T-ball yeah. team. I was very supportive. Okay. And then he did like the, the machine pitch or coach pitch. I don't remember which one, but then it got to the time where, um, yeah, the machine and then the coach where he had to hit the ball when someone else was pitching it. <clears throat> and Michael did okay. He actually hit the ball a few times. Like he was able to get some hits and he was like, he was probably middle of the pack when it came to hitting the ball. But of course I <laughs> wanted to help him be better. And it wasn't in a pushy way as much as in a Hey, let's go out there and let's, let's, let's work on this. And he wanted that. Okay. So, so far, I'm, so far I haven't done anything wrong yet. Okay. So stick with me here. As we were doing it, of course, I'm trying to help him out and, you know, tell him, you know, keep your eye on the ball, keep your shoulder in, you know, keep your feet on. Like I'm, I'm trying to help him with all the stuff the coach is telling him and he was struggling. So the more he struggled, the more I coached, the more I coached, the more he struggled. And eventually it got to the point where it became like a mission for me. Like I'm going to teach this boy how to hit, not in a, a like, like a, 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 I wanted him to be a major league player or anything like that. As much as I wanted him to finish the job that he, I, I knew he could do it. And I wanted to help him to accomplish it, which, because I didn't understand temperaments, I didn't realize the more I pushed the green, mm -hmm. the more stress I created on the green, the, the less successful he was in doing it. It was one particular day, okay, the day that Michael calls the day of the blood, sweat, and the tears. Okay, that's the <laughs> one particular day. We went to the park together, and I said, you know what? I did a typical red move. Okay, red's out there. This is what I said, and you reds are like, yeah, this is good, but green's... I said, we're not leaving here today until you hit the ball. We're not leaving here today. And, of course, in my mind, like, okay, let's do it, and I can do it. That was not a good tactic, okay? That, that did not go very well. 
I'll just cut to the end of the story right here. Michael did end up hitting the ball that day by the time we were done, but he ended up quitting baseball after that season and hasn't played since. And before you start to get sappy and sorry, okay, he's totally <laughs> fine now. He's moved on from baseball. He plays basketball. He runs track. He does cross country. He does all those things. So he's happy and we're fine. And we joke about this and he knows I'm telling this story. And he was totally cool with it. But my point is that as a green, he was very content with who he was. He was very content not being able to hit the ball every single time. He was good. It was me and my redness that wanted to push him. Mm. And in that pushing him, that pushing him, that pushing him, I actually pushed him to the point where he was not only not successful, but he didn't even want to do it anymore. I think to myself, man, I wish I had known then what I know now. I wish I could have just let that happy kid, just let that happy kid be happy and enjoy his time. Now, again, it's okay, but I wish I had known that then. The other combination is the blue-yellow, okay? If you're a blue parent and you have a yellow child, especially if they're very yellow and you're very blue, you may spend your entire day saying the following, sit still, stop fidgeting, be quiet, you're too loud, too wiggly. You may spend your entire life trying to unyellow your yellow child and trying to make them into the blue. And all you're doing when you do that, okay, because I've seen this, is you're taking yellow, okay, the, 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 the colors are, 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 are come from the, the book, I said this, you heard that. So for by Kathleen Edelman, and she gave that color. And I love the yellow because I think all the colors are appropriate. The yellow sparkles and the yellow shines. But you blues, if that's all you're telling your kid, you need to learn how to behave. You need to learn how to sit still. You need to learn to, to be, you need to not fidget, okay? All you're doing is you're dulling their shine. All you're doing is stealing the shine, the sparkle that God put in them. And we need to learn, parents, especially the reds and the blues. The reds and the blues, because those are the task-oriented ones. So the reds and the blues tend to struggle in the relational things, um, especially when it comes to the greens and the yellows because we're all made so different. We need to learn how to speak words that build up and help our children to act in their strengths versus tear them down and try to make them like us, okay? All right, let's go to our last question. This one we're going to spend a little bit more time on. And that is as it comes to marriage and relationships. And we're going to talk both to married and single people here. How does knowing this temperament stuff affect our relationships when it comes to marriage and dating. And I'll be honest, this is actually where this series was born out of. The reason why we're doing this series now is because I recognized that once this quarantine stuff started, okay, like I said in the beginning, at first it was fun and family time and we're all home, we're locked together. And it was kind of cool and new at the beginning, but it put a lot of strain on a lot of relationships. A lot of father-son, a lot of mother-daughter, a lot of husband-wife. And the goal of this series was to kind of be a lifeline, to kind of reach out and help people through this challenging time. And I'm so proud of many people who have taken great steps during this time. And I want to finish up this series and finish up this session with three pieces of advice that really address this question, but kind of beyond the scope um, and kind of encompass the entire series. And that's three things I want you to take away, okay? And I'll say them quick, then we'll just go on each one. Stay in your strengths, work on your weaknesses, be a builder-upper, okay? Stay in your strengths, work on your weaknesses, be a builder-upper. Let's start with the first one. The first one, stay in your strengths. Marianne, you and I are very different from one another. Mm -hmm. And what we've also learned is that we're very different from other couples as well. I think this stay in your strengths 
Okay, we do a lot of things. Obviously, we make mistakes. I'm not saying we're perfect, but I think we're good at this. Uh, yeah, I would agree. W- why don't you talk about how we have been able to stay in our strengths as a married couple? The first thing I'll say is I think we appreciate each other's strengths very much. Uh, so Abuna never tries to make me like him and I don't try to make him like me. Uh, so I think that has been really helpful for us. And I know red green combinations can actually be pretty difficult or dangerous, uh, but they can also be the very, very, very best combination. I think it can be a dynamite combination. So, uh, appreciate your red or your green, uh, uh, if you're married, if you're in that kind of combination, uh, for us, I would say, uh, how we stay in our strengths is we're really good at divvying up tasks and each of us kind of does their own responsibility that helps us. I know a lot of couples like to do things together and that may work for, for them. But, but for us, uh, for example, Abuna, uh, is very good at getting things done, obviously, and getting the ball rolling. So wake up time, he gets the kids up, he gets, he drives them to school. In fact, if he's out of town, he, I always promise him we're not going to be late. We're not going to be late. And unfortunately, friend locator, I always, 8.05, my phone is ringing. Where are you guys? You know, (laughs) we are late every single time, every single time without fail. If I'm the one taking the kids to school, we're late because I'm not really good at getting organized and getting things done in a quick uh, manner and under pressure, whereas he's really excels at that. Or even laundry, Uh, he does laundry because when I'm doing laundry, we learned early on, (laughs) I have no problem leaving the clothes in overnight, which really, for a red, that's very problematic. Can't leave them in the washer overnight, okay? Because then they get funky and messed. You can't leave them in the washer overnight. Yes. So we have Abuna do laundry and it works great. I I don't even have to think about the laundry. Uh, So we've learned, I think, to to Mm. stay in our strengths. Mm. We've learned that pretty well. And the point being there is I'm better at waking up the kids. Mm -hmm. I'm not saying, no, you have to do it 50% of the time and I do it 50% of the time. We don't need to be equal in that. No, Mm -hmm. I'm willing to take on that task because she's much better in other areas. Okay, as we've already said, I'm not the most patient person on the planet. So when those same kids, okay, come home, you know, with science homework that they need someone to sit and understand it and explain it to them. That's not my strength. Okay. That, that, that's working in my weakness. So Marianne will do that almost a hundred percent of the time. Okay. Only if, if necessary that I would, I'm more of the math guy and she's more of the science. But the point there is it doesn't need to be 50, 50. Mm-hmm. And, and this, I, I want to say this now to the single people who are listening. I want you guys to listen as well. This goes to married people and single people as well. Oftentimes we enter into marriage or into relationship with preconceived ideas of how it's supposed to work. I hear things like, when I get married, my husband better cook. Okay, if he doesn't cook, okay, he needs to learn how to cook and he needs to cook. Or you know what? My wife better be wife who cleans the house because I'm not going to clean the house and never clean. I don't want to clean. That's the wrong approach. Whether you're single or married, that's the wrong approach. And a better approach is we got to be flexible and we got to figure out. And you know what? In certain relationships, it makes more sense for her to cook. Certain relationships makes more sense for him to cook. Mm -hmm. Okay. Certain ones, he should be the one cleaning. Certain ones, she should be the cleaning. Get rid of the idea. I feel like so many times we're fighting for an agenda or or something that we were taught. This is the right way. And I'm not going to stay at home with the kids. I'm not. I don't believe in that. I'm not going to do the laundry. I'm the man. I shouldn't do the laundry. Get rid of that. Get rid of that. Nothing says, ladies. Nothing says that you have to stay home with the kids, 
But nothing says that you can't stay home with the kids if that's what's best for your family. So don't go in with this, I'm not gonna stay home. Gentlemen, nothing says that she has to be the one to clean. Nothing says that you have to be the one to clean. Nothing says that she has to do laundry, you have to do laundry. If you need help with laundry, come, I'll fix, I'll help you figure it out. It's not that complicated. What we need to do, every couple needs to figure out what works best for them and be flexible, okay? There was one single girl, okay, who said the following. She said, all the guys that, you know, I, I go out on dates with, all the guys that I date, all want a girl that knows how to cook. She's like, I don't know how to cook. And all guys need, need a girl who knows how to cook. Do you know what she did? She learned how to cook. Mm-hmm. And some of you would say, she shouldn't have to learn how to cook. She shouldn't change her personality. And I'm not saying change her personality. I'm not saying she has to learn how to cook. But I'm saying improving yourself and being flexible. Because you know what? If you are interested in, 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 in a relationship with, with a certain guy and the only thing is the cooking and not cooking, then you know what? Then we all need to work on ourselves and be better selves. It's not denying our personality or becoming a different person. It's staying in our strength. And our next, our, our, our next point that I want you to remember is working on our weaknesses. Working on our weaknesses. Listen carefully. Your temperament is not an excuse or is not a justification or is not to be used as a weapon. I am who I am. That's just how God made me. That's how I am. I'm not patient. I am how I'm just, you know, I'm, I'm, I tend to be more relaxed or I, I tend to be worried. That your temperament does not give you permission to be lazy or to be rude or to be a jerk. Temperament is a description of why I do what I do It's not a justification for why I do what I do. And there's a big difference between the two. I love the way St. Paul says it in 2 Corinthians chapter two, verse chapter three, I'm sorry, verse 18. He says, but we all are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as by the spirit of the Lord. Earlier, we were looking at different Bible characters and we saw how St. Paul was a red and Moses was a blue and Abraham was a a green and St. Peter was a yellow. Well, that's how God created them, and that was their temperament. But the goal, as this verse tells us, is not that we stay where we are, but we are transformed. That we become, as St. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5, a new creation in Christ. All things are made new. So let's take St. Paul as an example. We said earlier that he's a red. He's for sure a red. He was strong. He was bold. Okay, he was he was he was spoke with authority. He was a, he was a, a, a worker bee, a doer bee, hard work ethic. But St. Paul, it is very clear, if you look at him at the beginning of his life versus at the end of his life, there was a transformation. Marianne actually mentioned it earlier. At the beginning, St. Paul, when, when uh, it was a time where, where St. Mark was, was on the mission with him, um, and he was irresponsible, and he you know, was young, and he was foolish, so St. Paul said, get rid of him, we don't need him. And then Barnabas said, no, 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 he was a good guy, Barnabas was probably a green He said, you know, he's a good guy. Give him another chance. And St. Paul said, okay, you know what, Barnabas? I don't want you either. And he cut him out as well. And that was St. Paul at the beginning. But then at the end of his life, you look at St. Paul. And St. Paul says, with with St. Mark, he brings him back. And he says, Mark, bring Mark back to me. He's a good guy. He's useful to me. He tells Timothy at the end of his life in in, in second epistle uh, to Timothy, he says, come to me quickly. Okay, so you see that St. Paul, who was task, 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 by the end of his life, he was transformed and God helped him to become more relationship oriented in his, in his older years. Because if there's no point in, if there's no hope in changing, what's the point of everything that we're doing? 
Abraham, okay, he was the green. And as Marianne said, he was all about his family, all about peace, okay, all about keeping everyone together. And I don't want him to go away and I don't want anyone to be upset. Everyone just kind of stay together. Well, if you realize God wanted to transform Abraham, so what challenge did God give to Abraham? Was to sacrifice his son Isaac, okay? The very thing that he held dearest. Notice that wasn't a challenge for Paul. For Paul, sure, no problem. Sacrifice him, throw him out, no problem. That's easy for a red, throw someone off the island. That's, that's no problem. But for Abraham, this was the hardest thing. But because Abraham was willing to do it, and he was willing to cause tremendous, a, a green by his nature would not have been able to cause that amount of stress and conflict. He knew Sarah would go crazy on him. He'd lose his, like he, this is a very challenging for a green, but the transformation in Abraham was clear that he was willing to sacrifice his son because that's the whole point is not, is that we are, as it says, transformed into the image by the spirit of God. St. Paul says it this way in 1 Corinthians 10 verse, I'm sorry, 1 Corinthians 15 verse 10. He says, but by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace toward me was not in vain. Meaning this, how God made me. I'm a green, I'm a yellow, I'm a whatever it may be. By the grace of God, I am what I am. But look at the rest of the verse. But I labored more abundantly than they all, yet not I, but the grace of God, which was with me. I labored more abundantly than they all. I didn't accept my weakness. I worked on it. Okay. I stayed in my strengths, but I worked on my weakness to try to get better. So yellows, let's go one by one. Yellows. You guys were made by God with a shine and a sparkle. As I said earlier, you guys, your energy your enthusiasm, your optimism, y'all walk into a room and the place lights up and that's how God made you to be. But you need to work on the impulsivity. You need to work on the speaking before thinking. You need to not panic when there's a time of silence and you need to accept that, you know what? Maybe that silence is actually good for you and good for the other person who's around you and giving them the space will allow them to come back and be their best and give you exactly what it is that you need. Blues, you guys are talented. Y'all are creative. Y'all are uniquely gifted. Y'all are successful. You get stuff done because you have the precision and determination to get things done and work to the the smallest level of detail. But your problem is the negative self-talk. Your problem is the critical and judgmentalness, which sometimes is inside you, both towards others and towards yourself. What you need to do is you need to push back on those thoughts. Take every thought captive, as St. Paul says. And what you need to do is stop demanding perfection, both of yourself and of everyone else that's around you. Let's go to our green friends. Our kind-hearted, calm, patient, easy-to-talk-to green friends. It's your willingness to listen and to be a good friend and have that shepherd's heart that draws people near to you And you should never, ever, ever let that get affected by anything. But where you struggle is passivity, is keeping stuff in versus getting it out and letting letting the stuff build up on the inside. To my green friends, please know that when you speak up and you take action, you are doing a favor for everyone that is around you. Because sometimes... The people that care about you the most don't know where you stand and don't know what's going on inside you because of your inability to express it and to say something. And to our Reds, my fellow Reds, no matter what we think 
as much as we want to say that we have no weaknesses, Reds, we got, even though we don't see them as weaknesses, we do have weaknesses. And Reds, God wired us with a great work ethic. God wired us to be decisive. God wired us with the ability to succeed and get stuff done. But that comes with a potential cost. And if you want to know what that cost is, the cost is sometimes the people that are most valuable to you in life. Working on our weaknesses, Reds, isn't about throttling down, isn't about becoming someone that we aren't. It's about softening the edges and trying to do what we do with gentleness as opposed to harshness. And that, I promise you, Reds, okay, if you're a doer and you want to be successful, it's in softening those edges that you will find true success in life. Because the goal is to stay in our strengths, to work on our weaknesses, and number three, to be a builder-upper. The goal is not just to get stuff done, but the goal is to be someone that helps others and loves others and builds others up. That's what Jesus did. Jesus accomplished more than anyone else, but his main accomplishment was us, was people, was building us, was giving us hope and giving us a lifeline where we could reach him. And he did that by learning to speak our language, by speaking in a language that we could understand, not speaking in his own language and saying, you have to come up to me, but by coming down to man. And we need to learn how to do the same thing. If we're going to be Christ to the rest of this world, we must learn how to communicate as people here, not as we just want to speak. And you know what? Let's be honest. That's not going to be easy. Learning a new language is never easy at first. At the beginning, it's clunky and it takes a lot of thought. You have to translate things word for word. And I'm telling you, if you're getting this temperament thing, you may be doing it that way. You may be a red and you want to speak to your blue child. You say, okay, what would a, how would a blue understand this? How would a yellow get this? Okay. And it's, it, it's tedious at the beginning, but like any language, if you keep on practicing and you keep on working, eventually you can become fluent in that language and you can learn to speak it effortlessly, effortlessly, effortlessly effortlessly. Okay. Sorry. That took a lot of effort for me to say that. And that's the goal to speak it enough, to practice it enough where it becomes second nature for us. And in case you're wondering why I need to do that, why do I have to put in that effort? What's it worth? What's it going to cost me if I don't? I have an easy answer for you. Simply look around the room that you're sitting in right now. Look around at the people who are sitting on the couch next to you. Or if you are living alone, think of the people that are most dear to you in life. Think of the relationships that once were or that could have been. Or think of the ones that are hanging by a thread. And again, they may be the people sitting on the couch right next to you right now. Are they worth it? Are they worth stepping out of your comfort zone? Learning a new language? Learning to temper down? Learning to become more uh, um, uh, proactive versus reactive? Are they worth it? I think to myself, I told you that story earlier about, I wish I knew this when I was younger. I think to myself of other relationships, okay, that maybe I don't have a chance to go back to. Thankfully with my son, okay, we have a great relationship and I still can work on that. But there's other relationships that, who knows? We never want to regret anything in life, okay? And we never want to look back and say, I wish I had known, I wish I had done. Let's wrap up with Ephesians chapter 4, verse 29, which says this says, let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth, but what is good for necessary edification that it may impart grace to the hearers. That's what it all comes down to. That's our theme verse that we started this series with. 
And that's what we're wrapping up. The goal is that we learned, hopefully, how to communicate in such a way to impart grace to those who hear us. Now, before we wrap up here, Marianne, any final thoughts you want to share with the, our viewing audience? Well, first, thanks for having me. It was fun to be with you, Abuna. Um, and just my, my final thoughts, I would say, is God gave you your temperament. He wired you that way for a reason. He has a, a special plan just for you. I know we hear it all the time, but kind of let that resonate. And not only that, your spouse, your kids, he gave those to you with their temperament for a reason. So uh, what I always say, I want my gravestone, my uh, tombstone to say is accept one another just as they are. So mm -hmm. accept them with their strengths and weaknesses. Mm -hmm. Spoken as a true green. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and what I would say I would leave everyone with is, is kind of piggybacking on what Marianne said and what I said earlier is the goal of this series was to understand in order to practice. Okay, life comes down to relationships and if we're successful in everything in life, but we mess these relationships up, we didn't gain anything. So stay in our strengths, work on our weaknesses and be a builder upper. And hopefully we'll see some fruit of that in the things that matter most, which is the people around us. Okay, let's bow our heads for a prayer. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, one God, amen. Heavenly Father, we thank you for all that you have taught us and shown us in this series and opening our eyes to see the things about ourselves that we never knew. Help us to continue to learn more about ourselves and more about the people around us. And we want, Lord, to be successful in the area that matters, which is people and relationships. So I pray you'd give us all the humility that we need in order to take steps to, to stay in our strengths, to work on our weaknesses, to be builder-uppers, and to accept all those around us, Lord, as as divinely ordained and, and put in our lives by you. We pray this in the name of your Son, with the intercessions of all your saints. Hear us as we pray thankfully. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. In Christ Jesus our Lord, for thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Thanks so much for tuning in. We're done with this series. Okay, thank you for Marianne for joining us. Um, I'm going to leave some questions up on the screen. Uh, maybe you get a chance to discuss with your loved ones and friends and family. And hopefully we'll see you back next week. Have a great week, everyone.